They take me to the hospital. They put me in an inpatient program. I'm there for 24 hours. I'm like ready to, to get sober. And after 24 hours, they, they bring me to the front and they go, we just talked to your mom. You're being picked up. Your insurance can't cover it and you guys can't pay for this. So you got to go. This is a bummer. Um, so she picked me up, brought me home, and I sat in my room that night. And man, I just cried all night. Hello and welcome to another episode of Bunny Hugs and Mental Health. I am your host, Todd Renabaum. I hope you had a lovely week. Mine was okay. I, I actually ended up going to Las Vegas, Nevada for a couple days, kind of. <laughs> Traveling is a bit of a freaking nightmare. Eventually we got there and eventually we got home. I think I spent about 30 hours in total in Vegas. But, but while we were in Vegas, it was a nice time, my wife and I. I, I took a couple days off the podcast and my day job and stuff like that. So uh, I'm more tired now than before I left. But a cool thing happened in the Calgary, Alberta airport. I ran into a, a, a celebrity. Ad. There was a celebrity sighting. Probably my favorite all-time television show, uh, The Office. Uh, it's His name is Craig Robinson. He plays Daryl. And uh, yeah, it was very exciting. Living and growing up where I live and grew up, I, the only celebrities I see are the people from the local news once in a while. So that was very exciting to me, especially because it was someone that I, you know, from a TV, my favorite TV show ever. It was, it was unbelievable. Anyway, that was, that was a cool little thing that happened to me. I wanted to talk to him, but I chickened out. Uh, I just wanted to tell him how uh, much I appreciate the office and how it's brought some joy into my family and some dark times and especially when I was getting sober and stuff and uh, a lot of anxiety and depression and stuff, especially during COVID and that, and uh, just much I appreciate the show. But uh, instead, I uh, chickened out, and um, which I'm sure he didn't want to be bothered anyway. Anywho, I'm glad you're listening. Got a great episode for you. Uh, I, it's my friend John Sarone. Uh, we weren't friends until we talked, um, but he's a great guy. He's uh, a sober fellow as well. Uh, he, he was also a, a drug user. Uh, I think that was mostly his problem was the drugs. Uh, and he's also got his own podcast. It's called Feel Free Podcast. Uh, John is also an author and he's just come out with his new book called Parables, Musings from an Addict on the Journey Towards Wholeness. So you can check that out. Um, and also next week, I am speaking with Zanny. She's the host of a podcast and a YouTube uh, show. Uh, she's the host of BPD Bunch which is borderline personality disorder. Uh, so I talk with her and she talks with me about borderline personality disorder. She also has ADHD and we talked a little bit about that as well. So stay tuned for that next week. Also this week, follow me on Instagram at bunny hugs podcast. Cause I do Instagram lives. Uh, I, I'm going to have one this week. I don't have it scheduled yet. I have a couple people that I'm waiting to hear back from. And hopefully, uh, you know, you can go on there. Not hopefully, you can just go on to Instagram and follow me on there. And uh, there'll be a, a post about that or a story about uh, a time and a date and who, who I'll be talking with on there. Also, on May 18th, I'm going to be part of a panel on a, uh, an online discussion thing for Sexual Assault Services Saskatchewan. That's for the Saskatchewan Sexual Violence Awareness Week. 
the other people on the panel will be my buddy Emmanuel Flores Abad and Laurie Harrison. And Emmanuel and I, uh, Emmanuel was on the podcast, uh, I don't know, about a month ago or so. And we're going to be talking about male experiences with sexual violence and mental health challenges and the impact of social norms on men's ability to be vulnerable. So that's May 18th. Uh, you can go to SASS on Facebook. There's an event thing there. You can go there. Anywho, I think it's about time we go to the episode here with John Cerrone. So, uh, you know, without further ado, I give you John Cerrone. So when I got sober the the second time when I when I was really serious about it, I knew I wasn't going to be able to do it myself. And I actually reached out and got professional help through a therapist uh, who worked the 12 step, who was 27 years sober. So he, he was pretty much my mentor through it all. And I didn't really do well with the group setting at that point. Um, I had gone through a lot of turmoil from the drugs. It was mostly like psychosis and I was unable to trust the people around me and myself. So group settings were pretty difficult for me um, in terms of the drugs and recovery. So through working with a therapist and a lot of just self-work on myself, I was able to get a couple good months of sobriety under my belt before I started taking it even more seriously. Um, But yeah, no 12 step for me, uh, unfortunately. Um, The reason I ask is in meetings, they it's like w- when you have a speaker or someone come in to tell their story, like like you are right now. It's what you were like, what happened, and what you're like now. That's okay. That's like a, a slogan kind of thing they say. So when you tell your story, that's how you go about doing it. But anyway, like the three phases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, so what were you like? <laughs> what was I like? <laughs> uh, so there there are a couple different phases that I, I went through in my life. Um, the first one, probably the most detrimental to, to the journey I went on, I got really, really into drugs between the ages of 19 and 21, um, a lot of rave drugs. So I was just a normal drinker in high school or like a jock, you know, drink on the weekends, you know, smoke cigarettes and whatnot. And then when I went away to college, I got like my first real taste of freedom and I took advantage of that um, a lot. Uh, destructively, I would say, you know, I was three hours away from my mother and father. They were very overprotective and overbearing. So <laughs> I didn't. Are you an only child? I am not. I'm actually the oldest of three. Um, oldest of four, technically. Um, we adopted somebody, but she, my mother was very overprotective of me being the oldest. And when I went away to college, I got more freedom than I knew what to do with. So I got into drugs, um, the Chicago rave scene. I I stopped drinking pretty much because the drugs were just easier to get a hold of. So it was like ecstasy, acid, shrooms, a bunch of different uh, chemicals and tryptamines and all that stuff. So I went through a phase of just, you know, soul searching, doing all that stuff for fun, not going to class at all, you know, and just raving at two in the afternoon. Just raving all day, honestly. <laughs> it, was, it was it was one big party for me. Uh, hmm. And that didn't last too long, or the party, I should say, because, you know, after the party came, like, the misery, right? Um, 
so I was like a 4.0 student in, in high school. I was really gifted academically. And after a year of being at college, freshman year, my GPA was like a 2.6, right? I went home that summer and partied even harder um, than I did at school. By the time I went back sophomore year, um, I was on academic probation with my grades and uh, I wasn't going to class at all that time. And I actually got dismissed from Grand Valley State uh, my sophomore year. And that's when I was admitted into uh, outpatient here at Alexian Brothers uh, outside the Chicagoland area. And I went into college 180 pounds. You know, I was just like a built baseball player, right? And a year and a half after I went to school, when I was admitted into outpatient, I was 130 pounds. So, so I lost 50 pounds. I was extremely addicted to Adderall and ecstasy and uh, marijuana. So I was, yeah, it was just every day with those three things specifically and whatever else I could get my hands on, you know? Hmm. So growing up, you had a, like, there was no major traumas or nothing. Like it was like a, just a normal childhood and it was the party that gra- grabbed you or? It was, it was very restricted. Um, so I went to private school my whole life. And there was only one day during the week that wasn't um, religious, and it was Saturday. So my parents were very religious. They were very overprotective. Uh, They tried to shelter me from the world, you know, and I just had a lot of questions about what life was, and they didn't want to give me any answers. They didn't want me to experience things. They didn't want me to, to fail, you know. And I understand it was like out of love, you know, they're worried. It's like, it's a human being. Anybody would be, but to an extent, they didn't let me like get a taste of what life was, you know? So Mm. I I was like, uh, when the Amish come to the city kind of thing, (laughs) yeah, I get to let loose a little bit. Right. Um, unfortunately the letting loose went, um, way deeper than that. And I didn't have any like trauma growing up but during high school i i began writing poetry in high school i was very heavily influenced by um the book of revelations which is kind of like the armageddon of the bible you know so a lot of my poetry was very dark and disturbing um i dealt with depression in high school and insomnia and my mom had me start going to see a therapist at the age of 16 uh to deal with that and i didn't take therapy seriously uh in high school i was like this guy i'm not gonna tell him anything you know and that just wasted my time so through the years i was finally able to come clean with him about like some of the thoughts i had about hating myself you know not being able to forgive myself for the way i treated myself or other people around me and i just used the drugs and alcohol to kind of cover up me being unable to forgive myself for mistakes I've made throughout my life. Hmm. Um, because of that, like you were unable to forgive yourself because of the kind of like the pressures your parents put on you. You made like, yeah, it was the pressures that my parents put on me in high school. Um, and then once I got to college, I, I was completely just destroying my body. You know, I lost like 50 pounds at that point. Um, I was, I was angry at that time too i i was almost like mad at my parents for 
I felt like they had lied to me, you know, my whole life. And then I was like starting to get mad at the educational system, mass media, the government. Like I was in full blown conspiracy mode, honestly, with like taking all the drugs. And when I was admitted into outpatient, I had I was diagnosed with psychosis. You know, I was completely detached. I didn't even like want to be called John anymore. You know, what do you want to be called? Uh, I wanted to be called evil. Um, the word love spelled backwards. So um, I was having this weird oh. infatuation with like the mirror, you know, on like a bunch of drugs and stuff. And it, it destroyed me, you know, for weeks. I couldn't even like hold conversations with people anymore. I thought like the world was out to get me, you know. And even when not using? Even when not using. Yeah. Just the whole mm. time. You know, you, you said you didn't have trauma, but I, I mean, living in that kind of oppressed kind of environment is a trauma really i i didn't like viewing it as a trauma because i always tried to look at it like they only meant well for me and i didn't want to blame them yeah. you know but talking about it now with you you know it it is kind of a trauma but i don't want them to like apologize to me for it you know like they're just trying to right. do the best they could as a parent you know um yeah yeah for sure and i'm at the point now where i can look at it like I've taken the time to heal from that. You know, I'm a fully self-sustained adult right now. You know, I don't want to look back at that and be mad at them, you know, mm -hmm. but well, that's fair. I, that's could def I, could def I could definitely see what you mean though, for sure. Cause yeah, I mean, I, my parents weren't like that and I had resentments towards them when I was like 20 as well. I was like, oh, man, you <laughs> oppressed me. Cause you know, you fucking sheltered me. And we didn't go to church once my entire life. So, I, I mean, I mean, I know trauma is kind of a, kind of a. It's a broad uh, word, yeah, term, experience. Yeah. I think yeah. everybody has trauma. And so. It was traumatic it was just, for sure. It, it was yeah. more, it was more traumatic to come out into the world and the life they tried to shelter me from came out. Awesome. It was awesome at the start <laughs> and it came at me full force and I, I wasn't ready to handle it. You know, at the age of 18, I'm like, I can't believe there is this whole other side to life that they didn't let me feel, you know, and I resented them for that, which, you know, when, when you're young, that's what you think, right? Yeah. Yeah. I have an 18 year old, so I'm, I'm sure he's, if he's not resenting me yet, <laughs> it's, it's it's in the next couple of years, I think. He'll be like, he'll be leaving and go, what the fuck? Who knows? I'm screwed up my kids somehow, right? Yeah, I mean, we're not perfect, though, man. We're all just trying to get through life, right? <laughs> yeah. <I> mean, <laughs> Shit, there's no matter. There's no such thing as a perfect parent, right? That uh, Right. Uh, I mean, um, by the way, you have an amazing podcast voice. I appreciate that. Thank you. Ha have you been told that? Yes, I have. Uh, I've been told I should do ASMR, too. Um, which I'm I'm probably not going to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't do that. That's it, that's yeah. creepy shit. I know that's what I'm saying. <laughs> that's weird. <laughs> not doing it. So I actually, I actually was uh, trying to be a an amateur rapper at the time where I was going through all of this psychosis and stuff. So all of these mics and uh, practicing with my voice, my singing and stuff was actually something I had taken up as a hobby. Um, during during psychotic episodes during psychotic episodes yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> so that's where i get uh, the podcast voice from 
<laughs> so you trained your voice to be like that. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Ah, weird, and it's just stuck now. Right, yes, yes. Fuck, our brains are so weird, eh? They're so malleable, you can actually, like... It's all practice, man, honestly. Huh. I wonder, I wonder what I would be really good at if I just practiced. I could be, like, the world's best orange juicer. And orange juicer? I don't just some random thing that I've never <laughs> done before. That you know what I mean? Have you ever wondered that? It's like practice it every day. Yeah, or some like some sport that they play in some culture on the other side of the earth that is like, for all I know, I could be the the best one of that sport ever, but I'll never try it because I'll just never have that opportunity or whatever. But it was right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that was very random. Um, <laughs> So, uh, tell me about the, uh, you know, at what, at what point were you like, oh God, um, now I'm in, uh, this outpatient program. Is that kind of when you got sober? Absolutely not. Uh, no, that no, is, okay. that is actually when I bounced, I, I rebounded even, even more destructively. Um, so I, I was actually discharged after two weeks, um, because they told me they wanted to put me on SSRIs for my psychosis and I refused. I was like, you're going to give a drug addict more drugs. And they're like, it's not like that. Like these are going to help you. And I'm like, uh, that's not how I'm going to do this. You know, if I'm going to get sober, I'm going to get sober. You know, I don't want to put more chemicals in me. And that's what mm. I said at the age of 19, you know, and wholeheartedly, I do believe that, you know, I had to do it how I thought it was going to be done, you know, Lo and behold, mm -hmm. I didn't actually get sober until seven years later after that moment, you know? Oh, yeah. Another seven years. Another oh, seven okay. years. So after that was like when I was 19, went to outpatient, failed out of school. Uh, I was kicked out of my parents' house and I was just- What were you going to school for? I was going to school for, I was double majoring in chemistry and biology at the time oh, at, yeah. Grand, at Grand Valley State University. Oh, you're going to create your own drugs. I was, yeah. I was thinking I, was, <laughs> I, was, I wanted to do work with uh, hemp, actually, industrial hemp, and I wanted to use it as a means of like green energy and stuff. But um, unfortunately, I was too busy smoking marijuana to actually work with the hemp, you know? So you're doing research. I was doing my own research. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, I did obviously not stay at Grand Valley State. Uh, I was just in between Michigan and Chicago living with my girlfriend at the time and people's houses and stuff. Um, no direction, you know, I was still doing a bunch of drugs. The psychosis calmed down a little bit over the summer, but I was still, you know, I was still just a crazy whack job, you know, like I think in the fall of that year. So this was the fall of 2013. Uh, my girlfriend at the time broke up with me for obvious reasons. You know, I was psychotic, you know. And that destroyed me even worse, obviously. It was my first like real relationship and also my first real heartbreak on top of like me being addicted to drugs. So, you know, I just spiraled even further after that. Um, I moved back to Chicago and my parents were like, well, you can't live here. And I'm like, okay. Um, luckily, my- what you're up to? Right. Well, luckily my aunt uh, took me in. So I lived there for the next year. I was just, you know, working manual labor jobs, uh, going to school part-time at community college, still no direction, partying like an animal. And I think it was like a year after that, 
in 2014. I'm at community college. I'm writing a paper in psychology for a whatever, a 100 level course. It was on cognitive dissonance. And cognitive dissonance is a psychological term for when you have like conflicting values and you choose the one you know is wrong, but it's just more comfortable to you at the time, you know? Story of my life. So I might too. And I'm heavily addicted to Adderall still at the time. And I'm sitting there with one of my friends. And and normally in the college stigma is take a bunch of Adderall and do all your homework in one night, right? And I took all this Adderall and I sat there on my laptop for 10 hours and I couldn't write a single sentence. And I just kept saying in my head, I'm like, how am I going to write a paper on cognitive dissonance if I'm lying to myself about being a drug addict? You know, <laughs> so I sat there for 10 hours and I couldn't write the damn paper. After Wait, that, what I, is Adderall exactly? Is that uh... Uh, it's it's big pharma's legal form of methamphetamine. It's like Vyvanse or Ritalin or, you know, the oh, okay. pre- prescription speed for people with ADD and ADHD. Gotcha. Um, I'm on Concerta. Just started. Gotcha. But yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't write that damn paper. And I called my mom this that morning and I'm like, I'm not well, I, I need to go to the hospital or I need to go to inpatient because I'm a drug addict, you know, and she, you know, she's crying obviously. And, uh, they take me to the hospital. I'm there. They put me in an inpatient program. I'm there for 24 hours. I'm like ready to, to get sober. And after 24 hours, they, they bring me to the front and my family was going through a lot of financial difficulties at the time. A couple of businesses were going uh, bankrupt and stuff and fighting amongst family businesses, you know, and after 24 hours, they called me to the front and they go, we just talked to your mom. You're being picked up. Your insurance can't cover it and you guys can't pay for this. So you got to go. And I'm like. Oh man, this is, this is a bummer. Um, so she picked me up, brought me home and I sat in my room that night and man, I just cried all night. I was like, even when I wanted to like get help, you know, the universe just kind of told me that I don't get it, you know? And I was just furious after I was done crying and I'm like, you know what, then I'm going to have to do this. Right. So the next six months I got stone cold sober like from everything. And I aced all my courses at community college. I got readmitted back into Grand Valley State University, completely turned my whole life around in like six months, just like strong armed the whole thing and completely changed who I was. And that was back in 2015. So are you seeing the uh, psychologist then uh, therapist then the mentor? Not, not at the time. My, the mentor I saw or see right now, the one who's worked the program for 27 years, he actually didn't come around until 2019. Oh, so um, I was still seeing my other therapist at the time though. I stayed sober for six months and I was doing so good in life that I was just like, you know, I can, I, I wanted to, I wanted to be like everybody else, you know, everybody else just kept telling me for years. And even to this day through my eight years of substance abuse are like, oh, you just got to use moderation, moderation. I I can't stand that word. You know, (laughs) it doesn't, if you're like, if you're an alcoholic or a drug addict, there's no such thing as moderation in my opinion. You know, that word doesn't, um, it's all or nothing, baby. It's all or nothing. I'm zero to a hundred all the time. So 
at the time I was like, you know what? I can start drinking and smoking weed occasionally and I'm going to just try and keep it under control, you know? And I go back to Grand Valley State for that fall in 2015. I'm there for two years. I'm like, I'm on the Dean's list. I'm acing all my courses, you know, I'm really healthy and I'm partying occasionally too. Um, in moderation. In moderation. <laughs> um, and and to me, that that the reasoning I was doing so good in school and stuff was like, oh, it's okay for me to party and stuff. But there, there wasn't anything bad that had happened in my life yet. And this is when bad things started happening. You know, I had a couple altercations with um, with men and women sexually that definitely did a number on me. And something I tried sweeping under the rug for a really long time. I had I as an adult, like during your addiction, this stuff happened. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Some decisions that I made, you know, if you play with fire, you're going to get burned. Right. You know, you're just not ready for it. And I had lost a buddy who overdosed on heroin. Next thing you know, a family family member dies. You know, the mm. other it was just a whole maelstrom of stuff happening. And that's when, you know, the coping mechanism, the only coping mechanism I had at the time was like drinking and smoking, you know, no matter how many good months or years I had drinking and being a productive human, it just all went to shit after a couple of really bad instances, you know, and it rewired my brain to, to latch onto misery like that, you know, so in the fall of 2017, after, you know, after everything, I didn't get dismissed from Grand Valley by bad grades this time. I actually left for mental health reasons. I'm like, I can't be here anymore. I'm not going to be able to finish this degree. I, I have to go home to Chicago. And my mom took me back and it was almost like, you know, it was, it was like deja vu for me. It was almost it wasn't like I was psychotic like the first time, but I was just as defeated this time around, you know, mm -hmm. and when I came back. Uh, I was just a full blown alcoholic at that point. So the first stint I had with uh, addiction, it was all really hard drugs, you know, ecstasy, um, acid shrooms, Adderall and stuff. The second time around that destroyed me, it was, it was alcohol and cocaine. Um, I was drinking probably a fifth of whiskey a day for a mm -hmm. year and just getting my hands on weed and cocaine. And I was just destroying myself for the next year and a half after that, you know, um, still in and out of uh, community colleges, different dead end jobs, you know, no, no real direction in life at that point. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I don't, then you I, met a girl. I, I didn't. So I was actually. Oh shit! So from everything that happened through throughout the the psychosis and everything, I I became very cynical over those years, and definitely mm. the the altercations I had with people sexually had completely turned me into a full blown cynic. You know, so I didn't trust girl or boy for any type of love or lust or anything like that. I had completely closed myself off to the world. Um, so no, unfortunately, uh. A girl didn't come to save the day at that point. Um, <laughs> I, I, I am a hopeless romantic, so I was actually waiting for that, and it, it just never came around for me. Um, uh, no girls are coming to me while I'm drunk and high. and When I'm destroying my life, right? Why doesn't anyone <laughs> want to be around me? You know? Well, we never, we never actually put two and two together with that. And 
let's see, it was a year and a half of being uh, really wasted all the time. And the reason why that went on for so long, I wanted to make this point, like when I was doing a lot of drugs and stuff, you know, people notice a difference with you then you either lose a, a lot of weight, especially when you're messing with like different tryptamines and speed, like you're just, you're a freak, you know, and society now they look at you if you go to school you get all right grades and you pay your bills you can come home and have a couple beers you can get really wasted on the weekend society's like that's just that's socially acceptable and that was a really bad thought i had for that year and a half i'm like well as long as i do the bare minimum and get drunk well my parents aren't going to be mad at me they would rather me drink than do drugs and you know well, everybody's out here drinking and getting really messed up. So I guess that's the thing to do, you know, you know, that's, that's not how you get closer to like loving yourself or forgiving yourself, you know? So I, I use the alcohol as a crutch and, as, and an excuse for that. And it was in May of 2019 that I was like laying on the floor of my apartment, just in a pile of vomit and spit, you know, as usual, that's how I was waking up for a couple months now. And I was like, I, I gotta, I gotta make a change. This is ridiculous. You know, this isn't going to be like, Oh, I'm going to get sober for a little bit. You know, like I actually need help. And I think when I get sober this time, that's it. You know, there's, there's no going back. I've been trying to learn how to moderate myself for eight years. Like everybody says, I've been trying to be like everyone and I just can't, just can't do it, you know? And I just had to come to that realization that I'm not like everybody else. You know, it was really difficult, but I'm coming up on four years sober now here in May. So it's definitely, it definitely turned around at that point. And that's when I started seeing my mentor at the time. Well, congratulations on four years. Appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, yeah. So th that, uh, that's pretty amazing. It took, uh, I, I don't know if I would have quit on m with my own perspective. To be honest with you, <laughs> it was like, I basically was like given ultimatums to, and, that's kind of what got me like what like how I, I was wanting change but i didn't know how and right then, so it was like the ultimatum was kind of the kicker so they say you can't you shouldn't get sober for for other people or for other reasons other than because you want to which i don't know if i believe or not but 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 i was given this ultimatum so i you know it was, it was for both really it was like i wanted to change right. and i didn't know how so that ultimatum ultimately got the ball rolling Are, you're still seeing your mentor like you, uh, it's a still a regular thing. Uh, so for the first uh, three years, it was a regular thing. For the first year, it was every single week I would go and see him. You know, uh, year two and three, it was every other week. And I just stopped seeing him regularly a couple months ago, but we still chat. And when I do need to see him, I can hit him up. I just got rid of my my slot with him. You know, um, money gets tight. You know, and you know it's it's life, right? Um, I did join a new sober group though that meets once a month and, and plays board games though. So I will be hitting those people up too. So um my brother's also my brother's also sober. He doesn't work the program. Uh he's just addicted to running, you know. So Right. Um, so what do your younger siblings think? Did you were you a bad influence on them or were they like or was it you were a good influencer, like, holy shit, I don't want to be like John? So my my brother fought his own demons with alcoholism and and drugs and stuff uh hmm. our our sister not so much she she didn't get involved with the drugs and stuff she she was mostly just like a normal college sorority girl you know 
And we had adopted uh, our sister. She's probably like 11 years younger than me. And she do- she doesn't party like that. No. So she probably did see her older brother do the things he did, you know. And, uh, you know, it, it was never a bad influence, like telling my my siblings they got to do this and that, you know. Mm-hmm. If they came to me with questions, I gave them answers, but I never like coerced them into doing it. And, you know, my brother was 12 months younger than me. He is just oh. a, he is a grown man. You know, he makes his own friggin decisions, you know, just like me. Um, but mm-hmm. we were, we were both in our own type of hell around the same time, actually. So uh, was his uh, like he party too? like it was the same story, different same shit, different Paul kind of. Uh, I went a little harder on the uh, the psychedelics and the rave culture drugs. He his his choice was um, a marijuana and alcohol. Those were his two things. And but do you think it was the same? Like your your parents, you know, keeping the doors. You know that that same lifestyle that you he grew up in, and then he got they moved were, out and was like, woohoo! <laughs> they were at, he yeah he he did have a little bit of that, um, yeah. Definitely the same situation like that. Another thing that affected my brother, though, was he he was a very gifted athlete. And I think it crushed him when he might have found out he, he wasn't going to go pro or like he, uh, yeah. he just couldn't find his footing to be a professional athlete. And that kind of hurt his pride, you know, but then also like the home life of being really sheltered. You know, my sister went through something similar as well, but not with the drugs, you know. Right, right. I, I think most kids. I shouldn't say that. I don't know. Most kids I knew, anyway, most people my age kind of went through a good party session right. of party life. Once they, yeah, then they're yeah. like, and it's interesting when you see some of them stop and then like myself, I just kind of kept going and then it turned into this ugly, it, it was no longer a party. It was me drinking and smoking pot in my garage by myself every right. night, you know? Right. It wasn't it was a like, party anymore. <laughs> yeah. No. It was, yeah. I was like, how'd they stop? How'd they do that? What, what the hell? Yeah, anyway. They're just different, you know? They could they could <laughs> stop when they wanted, you know? Yeah. yeah it's weird. It's weird how people could do that. <laughs> it's like, you're just having one drink? What's the point? I never understood that concept. It just flew <laughs> over my head when someone said that. That was when I was like deep drinking too. And they go, yeah, I'm only going to have one tonight. I'm like, there's no way I could do that. <laughs> I, I don't, I, to this day, I don't get it. It's like, I... What's, what is the point? Right. Don't sit there and tell me it tastes good. I'm not going to believe that either, you know? Uh, so do you find the the podcast and talking to other people and stuff, that's kind of a, a support as well and a bit of a kind of keeps you on the right track? Absolutely. Um, yeah, and that just started uh, probably six or seven months ago doing the podcast. My writing is really what kept me uh, sober through it all. And actually, it, it was funny that you said you – you had ultimatums when you got sober. I I had given myself ultimatums too. And it's actually throughout my book and in different portions of it. I'm very obsessed with the idea of, of dreams or not like dreams you have when you sleep, but like chasing mm. your dreams, like goals, like ambitions, like what you're destined to do. And to me, I gave myself the ultimatum. It's like, you're never going to live a healthy, happy life. You are never going to be able to attain your dreams if you keep using drugs. It's just not going to happen. So you're going to just sit here in this apartment all miserable, pissing and moaning that life ain't working out the way you want it to. And nothing's going to change until you get sober. 
So I had to give myself that ultimatum, you know, mm-hmm. and it was pretty brutal because like, you know, I didn't have the support group. I did have my mentor and that was great. Um, but it was my writing that kind of kept me grounded. And I had journaled pretty much everything I was going through. And I had been writing poetry since high school, you know, and when I got into college, I started dabbling with philosophy and writing short essays and stuff. So the two years leading up to me getting sober to where I'm at now, so 2017 to 2019, there was a lot of writing. There was a lot of like shame and failure there. And then these four years of me being sober, there's different perspectives in my writing. And I put all six of those years together into this first book I published of kind of like a devotional book for myself and other people who might be dealing with thoughts of like bad habit, shame, failure, and uh, poor mental health, you know? What's your book called? um, It is called Parables, Musings from an Addict on the Journey Towards Wholeness. Hmm. And is it getting good feedback, good it is reviews. It is. Yeah. Uh, I got a couple good reviews and good feedback. I, I didn't get a lot of good feedback at the start. Um, but honestly, the way I wrote it, even in the prologue, I told people, I'm like, listen, this isn't a book you read in one or two sittings. Like it's a book you read, like you pick it up, read a page or two, put it down, think about it, you know? So finally, mm-hmm. after a couple months of it being out, I started getting hit up on Facebook and uh, other platforms, people telling me that they enjoyed the book, you know, even people who aren't like full blown addicts. Or, yeah, they're not in recovery. They're hitting me up and they're like, yeah, I really related to a lot of what you were writing about. Because um, I did write a lot about having an issue with screen time that I write about that a lot, whether it's TV, you know, your phone addiction to sugar, fast food, porn, alcohol, all of this stuff. You know, I felt at one point I was addicted to all of it. So I was it was easy for me to write about it, you know. And Mm -hmm. lo and behold, a lot of people started relating with that. So, yeah. Hmm. I'm not going to lie. I have a problem with sugar, sugar and caffeine. It's so good, though. (laughs) Every morning, mm, Nutella and coffee. I I got a problem with Dunkin' Donuts or like Tim Tim Hortons for you guys, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know Tim Hortons, do you? I love Tim Hortons. (laughs) Timmy Hose. Do they have it in Chicago? Uh, They had it in Michigan where I went to school. Ah, yes, Michigan would have that. Yep. You, uh, you know, I uh, growing up in, I don't know if you know where Saskatchewan is. Um, I think I, it's I grew across up, the border, well, right? Yeah, uh, Saskatchewan, it, it's like North Dakota. Yeah, mine not North Dakota. Okay. It's like two hours north of that. But anyway, I, I grew up, well, I'm still in the same small town that I grew up in, in Indian Head, Saskatchewan, and I knew everything about Detroit. Because all our cable channels, like ABC, CBS, NBC, they were all Detroit affiliates for some reason. <laughs> so so I, I grew up in this dinky little town in the prairies in Canada. And it's like, I knew everything about Detroit from the mayors to the like the sports teams to like the car dealerships and all the businesses. <laughs> and like, Weird. Yeah. Do they have Tim yeah. Hortons there though? In Indian Head, we do. We just got our first one a couple years ago. Nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know if it's good or not because we just have, you know, like mom and pop coffee shops and now it's like- Right, you know, chain, kinda, chain restaurant, yeah. Yeah, they're coming in, but anyway. Uh, and uh, actually, we haven't talked about your podcast. What's the name of your podcast? Uh, it's called Feel Free. Um, that's that's it, just the two words, feel free. Um, and it's- 
Yeah, it's just a general wellness. I talk about mental health a lot. I also have a lot of people come on and talk about, you know, burnout from work or a lot of like diet and nutrition because a lot of my friends are very, um, very passionate about the type of food we're all putting in ourselves here in America. You know, it's alarming with all how much, like you just said, you know, it used to be mom and pop like coffee shops. And to me, there's not a lot of that here. It's mm-hmm. McDonald's and Dunkin Donuts and Starbucks every quarter mile. So I have and Tim a lot Hortons. of, yeah. And, Tim Hortons. <laughs> <laughs> and I have a lot of people come on and talk about diet and, and exercise. And my brother comes on to talk about chasing dreams, you know? Um, so it's a very generalized, uh, wellness podcast. Um, are you still rapping? I, I am still rapping. I actually practice freestyling here and there. So I was, I actually made a list of all the things I've accomplished since I got sober that I I had on a list that I couldn't complete when I was using. And hmm. so when I got sober, I, you know, turned my whole life around four years ago. I got readmitted back into a college, University of Illinois Springfield. So after nine years, I was finally able to get my bachelor's in philosophy. I finally did it. Um, a year after that, I self-produced my first four rap songs. Um, you can find that on Spotify and Apple Music under John Cerrone. Uh, a year later, I come out with my book and my podcast too. So within almost four years, I would accomplished a large portion of what I really set out to do when I was on all those drugs, you know? So hmm. Nice. Yeah. Um, have you ever been assessed for ADHD? <laughs> uh, my, I just asked because I to say what it's like, I just have projects and I do them or I drop them and I do it. It's like, I'm, uh, my girlfriend says I should, um, she think I do have tendencies, you know, I pace around the room a lot when I'm thinking I have lists on lists all over the place. I have a million different hobbies that I pick up at different times. You know, um, <laughs> that's me, man. So I honestly, if I, if I want creatives. Yeah, creatives, exactly. Um, it's difficult to channel that creative energy, though, sometimes. Sometimes I'm I'm moving so fast I can't do anything, and I'm just, like, stuck in my chair staring at the wall, you know? So It's called ADHD paralysis. Right. Uh, I, honestly, like, I, I, can see, <laughs> I can see it, you know? Um, the only problem is the medication they give you is... Uh what you were hooked to. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's, I can't, I think, I think I already had this conversation with my mentor actually about it. He goes, yeah, you definitely have some tendencies and what they would put you on is probably what we can't have you on. And I'm like, that's, that's all right. You know, um, I, I do love coffee just like you though. So, uh, I have to throttle that with my ADHD, which is difficult. Uh, I w- I've been seeing an ADHD coach for since May and just that helps too. Like, um, they just put things in perspective for you and stuff. No, I'm not saying I'm not, uh, diagnosing you or anything, but if, if you do have ADHD and, you, and you're unable to go on meds, there are other strategies you can use and stuff. Just, just saying, cause, um, this is actually a really good idea. I appreciate that. Honestly, I didn't, I didn't yeah. even know that was available. Neither did I until I, <laughs> I, it took me like two years to look into it and get assessed because the mental health system and like ADHD, all this shit. It's so fucking hard to get diagnosed and find mental health services and all this stuff. I don't know what it's like in the States, but. Um, It's a little easier here, but there's a stigma behind everything. And well, first thing I'll say is it's friggin' expensive over here. It's not like Canada. 
health insurance over here is messed up, you know, um, everything's expensive. That's pretty much one of the reasons it deters so many people from getting uh, the mental health help they need here is probably due to the money, honestly. Right. Yeah. I spent uh, about two or three weeks in the hospital detoxing and then I went uh, a month, 28 day treatment and it was all just covered like the government covered it all. So like it cost, didn't cost me a dime. Damn. But um, there might be more waiting lists, like a longer waiting list than it would be in the States and stuff. Like, so, I mean, there's, there's pros and cons. Right. But ultimately I didn't have to pay anything and I'm better. Yeah. So that's, that's pretty much <laughs> so, all that matters yeah. right there. <laughs> yeah. Um, Cause yeah, I, I like, uh, there are private uh, treatment centers and stuff in Canada too, if you have the money, but it's like $30,000. Like, it's just fucking insane. I'm like, Jesus, that's what I paid my first house for. It was $35,000. <laughs> like, yeah, that's, that's, Lord. A, that's a large sum of money right there. Yeah. <laughs> You, you could have your own album for that. I was going to say, yeah. Have <laughs> your somebody, own studio. Somebody produce that for me, I, I wish. Um, I do still dabble in uh, music. Uh, I was learning to play the guitar for a little bit, too. Like like I said, I got a million friggin' hobbies I pick up and put down. Um, <laughs> my, my girlfriend moved in with me a couple months ago, and we live in a pretty small apartment, so I had to get rid of the guitars for now until we move somewhere where I can have them out, you know? Um, right. Yeah. Once I'd really like the podcast and then my second book and third book to, to put me in a position where I don't have to work my nine to five. And when that's the case, I'll definitely be taking up music again, like producing songs and stuff. Um, right now it's just a whole different creative process, you know, from writing rhymes and freestyling and dancing to like, I'm trying to write books and like articulate a podcast, you know, it's, it's more, it's creative, but it's it's not expressive like the other things I was doing before, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But I will I will definitely get back around to them. Yeah, yeah, I hear you, man. I have like a woodworking shop, and I had I have drums and guitars, and I had to sell some of the like. Yeah, I, I a while ago I I, I purged some of my. Cause it's all or nothing, right? right? It's like, it's, uh, it's all or nothing. So I was like, if I'm going to get a guitar, I'm going to get the best guitar and I'm going to get the amp. And like, so like I had to, I had to do some purging and I decided, okay, like let's, let's channel this, my energy to one, one fucking thing for a little bit. Right. Podcast. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel that I'm, I'm right there with you, man. <laughs> Uh, so life's good now. You, you got a girlfriend, you got your uh, philosophy degree or whatever it is, certificate. I don't know. I'm not a school guy. <laughs> certificate. Uh, it might as I well be, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, you got your podcast, you got a book, you, you're already planning two more books. Yeah. Um, life life is good now, definitely. Uh, it's It's better healthy, you know. Yeah, I, I, the person I was four years ago and who I am now are completely different, and I wouldn't change it for the world. I'm actually so biased towards sobriety that I like tell people who even don't have like an issue with drinking or smoking. I'm like, if you're having problems, just get sober. You figure it out, you know. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> yeah, know. like having like a clear sense of self in your mind is it's unparalleled. It's it's worth every minute. So, I am planning the second book, which is an actual step by step self help book. So the mm. first book I just came out with the uh, the parables one, it's a it's a philosophy book, but it's considered philosophy because it's not a memoir. 
because I don't actually have like places and people and times in it. And it's not mm -hmm. a self-help book because it's not step by step me telling you how to change your life. You know, it's mostly like little short essays about what it is to go through recovery and, and chase your dreams. Um, the second book is an actual step by step self-help book where I kind of lay out how I got rid of all my really bad habits and then instilled really good habits at the same time over the course of three years. So that's the mm. next one I'll be working on. What's your third one? Uh, the third one is poetry. Uh, so I was actually going to throw a poetry one in the mix, but that one wasn't <laughs> going to be planned. The third one was actually going to be just a flat out philosophy book where mm. I, I write a little bit about uh, society, religion, mass media. I wanted to talk about topics that encompass uh, the masses. The first two books were kind of like for the individual person. And I wanted to do the third book as kind of like all encompassing for all people or, mm. you know, the system Dudism. we live in. Buddhism, right? No, dudism. I oh, dudism. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what it's called? Uh, yeah, that's uh, from uh, the movie. Uh, there goes my brain. Ah, <laughs> uh, the dude. You know that? Uh, oh man, uh, the Big Lebowski. Yes, Big Lebowski. Yeah. Dudism. Yeah, yep. that's like a religion based on the get that character in the movie and stuff. Uh, religion or philosophy? Hey, what's the difference, man? Between religion and philosophy. Yeah, let's get deep, bro. <sighs> Teach me. Philosophy. Is there a difference? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I think philosophy is like the art of thinking, but you know, you can apply philosophy to any different subject. Religion is definitely like a select, a select uh, set beliefs about uh, a certain like spirituality. Definitely, you know, you can apply philosophy, mm. like the philosophy of basket weaving, you know, or the philosophy of lane cement. You know, you can put that word in front of everything. Um, so philosophy, like philosophy of Catholicism, Catholic Catholicism, the philosophy of religion, the philosophy yeah, of okay. science, political science. Yeah, it gets boring once we start doing that. You know, the the religion of philosophy, the religion of philosophy. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wait, you might be onto something. <laughs> Man, we should smoke some joints. Yeah, <laughs> even deeper, right? <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, I totally miss weed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I I play the tape forward, as they say, and it'd be like, oh man, I'd I'd get high and I'd have a blast, and then six months later, I'm in treatment again. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I played this out with my with my mentor a million times. He goes, yeah, it could work for the first like week, but you know exactly where you're gonna be in six months, and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I'll be I'll be in hell again. So. Yeah, I'll have another ultimatum. Right. <laughs> another defining moment in my life. I just don't think my soul can handle it again, though. So we're going to stay sober. Yeah, man, I hear you. So the problem with, uh, that must have been hell getting sober during COVID. Because, like, everybody was turning into addicts <laughs> during man. COVID. You're, you're, like, the reverse. I was, yeah, so I, I had... I had around eight months of sobriety under my belt at the time when the pandemic hit. And... Uh, honestly, it, it, it did a lot of good for me actually when I was, I was hunkered down here back in March and I was like, I'm going to put 20 pounds of muscle on, I'm going to get in some ridiculous good shape instead. And I just like kind of did push ups and brought weights here and got really shredded. So, um, hmm. yeah, I still stayed sober through it. Um, 
played a lot of video games, you know, so I, I didn't crum <laughs> I didn't crumble in that sense. Um, luckily, and people thought I was crazy at meetings. So I did go to meetings for the first six months. I went sporadically and I, the first meeting I went to was actually after six months of being sober, I walked into my first meeting and when I mm. got there, it was a, a key tag meeting where they give out the little keychains, right? Oh yeah. And mm -hmm. they were asking like different times and stuff and nobody knows me. Right. And then they said six months and I like raised my hand and like the other eight people in the room, like looked at me they're like, why is he at six months? Like we haven't seen him at any meetings in the area. And, um, so they asked like how I did it. And I just told them I like strong armed the whole thing, you know, um, played a lot of video games and whatnot. And I didn't keep going after that. What happened? What was your original question? I think I just had an ADHD moment. Uh, just about trying to get sober in the pandemic. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I went, I went to meetings to start, but it just didn't really vibe with me. And I just hunkered down here instead, obviously still seeing my mentor and stuff. Well, then meetings would have been shut down because of COVID. Right. So it didn't yeah. really affect me too much. Um, the one saving grace. Oh, this, this is what I was trying to say. When, when we would share stories at NA, um, people would say how they like got rid of all their friends in their life, you know, that's still used and stuff. And mm -hmm. to this day, like there, there were a couple people that had to leave my life, but I'll be honest, like 90% of the people are still in my life. Like even friends that like use, use weed or like drugs in general, um, family members and stuff. They've all been so supportive of me and, when I went through everything I went through with the psychosis, they all like still believed that I would come back, you know, and I can't like leave people like that, you know, like those are some real genuine people. And nobody's ever asked me if I wanted to smoke or drink ever since that day that I said I was going to get sober. No one was like, you want to do this or that? Like nobody even asked after that. They like mm -hmm. literally like saw all the good things I did with my life. And they're like, this guy's not bullshitting anymore, you know? Like, why mm -hmm. would we ask him that? So I was very thankful to have a support group who wasn't sober, but was still very supportive of my sobriety, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, for the most part, the same goes for me. I mean, by the time I got sober, I mean, I was literally just drinking and using in my garage by myself anyway. So <laughs> right. <laughs> I hadn't, I mean, I was the bad influence in the, in the group, right? <laughs> like <laughs> if I wasn't a group. So I was like. Yeah, they do say get rid of your playmates, play things, and play places. So you, you can't hang out at bars anymore. You can't oh, do God, that. No. And I don't mean it, it's totally true for a lot of people, but. No, I mean, initially, the first like month or two, like if people are like, hey, we're going here, we're going to so-and-so's house. I'm like, I'm not going, you know, I'm not ready for that mm -hmm. yet. You know, mm -hmm. there, is, there are instances like at the start where I'm like, I don't trust myself, but, you know, slowly but surely I'm like, yeah, I'm strong enough to, to be around this, you know. I don't need it. So, um, mm -hmm. but yeah, at the start, definitely not. <laughs> yeah. I actually haven't been to a meeting since 2019. Okay. Since COVID. Yeah. Since they get shut down on, yeah, they got, they shut down on, during COVID and then they never opened up again in my small town and I haven't really? Really been back and I, uh, but I, I did need them in early sobriety, but I don't know. I'm everybody's different, right? That's the thing. It's like, right. um, I feel fine without them. Some people need them 
every couple days for 20 years, whatever, right. it doesn't, whatever, whatever works for you, man. I mean, you're yeah. coming up on six years now, right? You're six years sober. Uh, uh six years. I was six years in November. Dang. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, man. And coming yeah. up on seven soon. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. And, and people, you know, like in early recovery, they say it gets easier and stuff. And it's like, you're fucking white knuckling it the first couple of years and you don't, <laughs> it's like bullshit. I don't know how it gets easier, but it's like not even a thing for me now. Like I do miss smoking weed or whatever, but like, I don't like sweat. I don't sit there sweating, craving it. You know, it'd just be right. like, it's yeah, more like it's a fantasy nothing. for a moment. You're like, oh, that would be nice. And then it's gone. You're like, oh, yeah. my, I just, like I said, man, I just look at how, how great my life is right now without it. And I, I'm never going back, you know? So instead, I'm just going to keep telling people who are having struggles like me to get sober instead, you know? Thank you so much, John, for that. Go on Instagram, John Cerrone. It's J-O-N-C-E-R-O-N-E. Follow him there. Follow the podcast. Buy his book. Uh, and just be, you know, supportive of a wonderful guy. Anyway, uh, thanks again for that. And you never know. Maybe maybe I'll make an appearance on his podcast sometime. <laughs> and while you're listening to his podcast, why don't you rate and review it? And while you're listening to this one, why not rate and review it? It is. Uh, it, it helps people find the podcast. So why not help people that are looking for mental health podcasts to find this one? Uh, I think it's lovely. And I got amazing guests that share and are vulnerable and open. I get all types of feedback all the time from people that appreciate my guests, uh, appreciate uh, the, the topics we talk about and the, the vulnerability and the candidness of, of our discussions. And lots of people get help relating to or understanding maybe a loved one that's going through a similar thing. So I don't like asking for help very often, but if you do want to help the podcast and help other people, then uh, please rate and review the podcast. I, I dare you to even share some stuff you see on Facebook or on Instagram. Uh, and that would just be, that'd be top notch of you. Uh, to find the podcast on Facebook, it's just Bunny Hugs and Mental Health. If you want to follow on TikTok, it's Bunny Hug Podcast and Instagram Bunny Hug Podcast. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks again, John. And I hope to see you next week when we talk to Zanny about borderline personality disorder. Uh, so until then, please remember to make your beds and take your meds. Bye. Bye.